Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Does, does anybody know what today is? Ash Wednesday. Very good. Would you please open the class with prayer today, Pauline? Father, we thank you and praise you for the opportunity and the blessing that it is to come to this class here at Grace. We just pray that you would be with our teacher, with Bruce, as he gives us the word, and that you would fill him with your insight, your knowledge, your wisdom, Lord. Fill him with your spirit. We thank you and praise you for all that have come here today. Open our hearts and our minds to receive all from you in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I have to finish a little section on the knowledge of God that was supposed to be part of last week's lesson. And then we're going to get into parables. The real title of class number eight is He Spoke in Parables. But first we're going to dive into the knowledge of God. This is a brief list from both the Old and New Testament of scriptures that talk about the knowledge of God. First one is uh, Psalm 46, verse 10. Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Next one is Psalm 91. Now, I could talk on this psalm for a long time, probably two or three weeks in a row. But Anyway, when I was in my own um, five-fold minister's Bible study years ago in Minnesota, one of the guys came in in the morning and said, what does it mean to dwell in the secret place? <laughs> of the Most High, and how are we supposed to do that? And so I started studying the psalm, and I came to a conclusion that the answer is in the psalm itself. And where it's located is in verse 9, where it says, Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place or your habitation, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Well, that's good. But then go to verse 14, and it says, Because he, meaning us, has set his love upon me, meaning we're setting our love on God, therefore God will deliver us. He will set us on high because we have known his name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So the way to dwell in the secret place is to make God your dwelling place or your habitation and to know him, to know him, and then conversely to be known by him. Remember what Pastor Gary was saying is one of the scariest verses in the Bible is when people came to Jesus and said, did not we cast out demons and heal the sick in your name? And he says, be gone from you, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So you want to be known by God, and you want to know God. And um, 
Let's go to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We talked about the fear of the Lord last week, but it's the beginning of knowledge. And then in verse chapter 2 of Psalm, verses 1 through 5, the Word of God says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. In James, you know, it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let us ask, and it will be given to him without any concern, without any um, retribution. You'll, you'll get what you ask for if you ask for wisdom from God. Mm-hmm. And then we'll go to chapter 5 of Psalms, or Proverbs, I mean. Chapter 5, starting in verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. A lot of verses about the knowledge of God in the book of Proverbs. The last one in this book is chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. There's lots of verses. This is not an extensive list. You can find hundreds on your own. I'm just going through some, okay? Let's go to Jeremiah Chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. So to understand and know God is to be more treasured than having influence over other people, having more riches than other people and controlling more resources than everybody else, or having more earthly wisdom than other people have. And what we're to do is to seek to grow in our knowledge of God and make sure that as we commune with him through talking and listening, that he knows us. Pour out your heart to him. He knows everything already anyway. (laughs) Let's go go to chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. Verses 31 through 34. So talking about the new covenant that was going to come. 
It only took hundreds of years for it to come after this prophetic word was given. So he was certainly not alive to see it. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, where I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, that could also be translated my word in their minds, and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Praise God. Remember the difference between sin, iniquity, and transgression that we talked about extensively in the earlier class. Iniquity is wrong being that we inherited from Adam. We can't do anything about it on our own. But through mercy and truth, atonement was made for iniquity in the form of Jesus Christ. This portion of Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 was quoted by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 6 or 8. So it's in both the Old and the New Testaments. Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Thank you, Lord, for that. Yeah. And now, Hosea, Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priests for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Mm. And then go to chapter 6. Verses 1 through 3. Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. That could all, that's also translated in the ESV, that we may dwell in his presence. Let us know, it says in verse 3, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. Well, I'm going to break this down a little bit. Remember that in Second Peter 3, 8, the Apostle Peter said, A day to the Lord is just a thousand years, and a thousand years is a single day. And so if you look in verse 2, it says, After two days he will revive us. Well, what happened at the end of the at the end of the nineteenth and the beginning of the twentieth century, which was the end of the first two thousand years after Christ, as all these revivals broke out? 
And throughout the 20th century, there was a revival after revival after revival, and that pattern has continued to this day. Some of the biggest ones have been at 28-year intervals, which is a multiple of seven. Wow. And, um, but it started in America with the Azusa Street Revival in 1905-6. And then eventually, we all know about the um, healing revivals of the 50s and the Jesus people movement of the early 70s and 60s. And then it became the Toronto Blessing and the Brownsville Revival. And, uh, and the revival in which I was saved and born again in the 90s, now we're looking at a new form of revival in uh, Christian colleges in Kentucky, Tennessee, Hallelujah. Georgia, and other and, and Alabama. There's Praise four of them the that I know of for sure. But it's it started out just with worship and young people. There's no known leader. It didn't begin the same way others began and people are already starting to try and criticize it. But um, we're going to talk way more about that kind of thing. But what I want to talk about today is that after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, we will live in his sight or in his presence. Well, this is the third day after Jesus, counting a thousand years as a day, and a day is a thousand years. We're in the third day. We've been called the third day church. And there's even that singing group, Third Day, took their name from this type of scripture. Wow. And um, they've had a very successful worship career. But anyway... um, the former rain it talks about waters the early planting and the crop and helps it to grow, and then the latter rain needs to come so that the crop can be harvested. It says he will come to us like the former and latter rain. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're waiting for as the third day church is to be part of the great harvest that's coming. Yes. And I'm going to talk a lot more about this. I don't want to get into everything I have to say about this right now. But um, meditate on that verse from Hosea 6, verses 1 through 3. And then at, in verse 6 it says, He said, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So he's basically saying the old system... The covenant that you broke, in that I required you to give sacrifices. I don't care about your sacrifices. What I care about is that you increase in the knowledge of me and you show mercy to your fellow man. I desire mercy more than sacrifice, the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Yes, amen. And that's the kind of thing, the only sacrifice required of us is that we present our bodies a living sacrifice unto the Lord, which is our reasonable service. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Okay, let's go to the New Testament and see what that has to say about the knowledge of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 through 12.
But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. The place where that's written is Isaiah 64, verse 4. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. Mm -hmm. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Amen. And one of the problems I see in Western churches is that they, they really don't know and appreciate all the things God's already given to them, mm-hmm. nor have any chance of those things manifesting in their life because in a lot of places they deny that it even is possible. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, our church is not like that. Praise God. Yes. I mean, we wouldn't be here if it was. Yeah. You pro- most of you probably wouldn't either. So we need to know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And it's also one of the things that we talk about when we talk about communion. Because it says that because people have taken communion without searching themselves and making sure that they're right with God and without knowing the full extent of what Jesus has already done for them. For this reason, many of you are among me, among you are sick and dying. Mm-hmm. But there's no, there should be no reason for that, according to Andrew Womack and others. If you just knew what God's already done and believed it, and your faith was in that, then you would walk in divine health and wellness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, meditating on these kind of scriptures will bring you to a new place with the Lord, I believe. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. He's praying for the disciples and the people that are in the church in Ephesus that he founded as an apostle. He's saying, Therefore I also... After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know, What is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him as his right hand in heavenly places, 
far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He's praying that the people who are in churches he founded would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. That's what we pray for us too. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We need to comprehend. We need to know. We need to have the knowledge of God firmly established in our lives. Philippians chapter 3. Those of you who've heard my testimony may remember that this is like a life verse for me. Starting in verse 7, Philippians chapter 3, 7 through 14. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's a big one. In uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, every church that Paul was writing to, he's praying for them to have increase in knowledge of God. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, 
being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Anybody detect a pattern here? Second <laughs> <laughs> Peter 3, verses 17 and 18. Second Peter 3, 17 and 18. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. The error of the wicked is to believe a lie. Mm -hmm. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Okay. Any questions on the knowledge of God? Think he tells us enough times. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd like to start on what was going to be the beginning of class eight today, which, and the title is "He Spoke in Parables." And um, the first parable I'm going to look at is in Matthew 13. Matthew 13. And verse 33, it's only one verse, Matthew 13, verse 33. Another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. So Jesus comes into the world and he says after he was baptized and the Father cried out from heaven this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. He started his earthly ministry and he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The minute he came out of the wilderness filled with the Holy Spirit and power the first thing he said was Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's announcing the kingdom. What did John the Baptist cry in the wilderness? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is coming. And so by putting this little bit of leaven into the world, the way that the woman put three measures in one big lump, it eventually is going to rise and fill the whole world with the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven, just like the whole lump of dough was filled with the leaven that the woman put into it. The kingdom is rising in the world and has been ever since Jesus was here. We may not see it. We may think that darkness is rising faster than the kingdom is rising, but that's not true. I'm going to get into that when I talk about parallels and biblical timelines between the Bible verses from the past and what's happening in our world right now. But what I'm saying is the kingdom is going to fill the entire earth with the knowledge and glory of God the same way that in this one verse it says the whole lump of dough was leavened. Because the kingdom started when Jesus uh, uh, was baptized and 
started his ministry, that's when the kingdom started, right? Yes. So we're living in the kingdom of God right now. Yes, we are. Absolutely. And we're also living in his rest. Amen. <laughs> he's, he's not creating anything anymore. No. And on the last day, he rested. His rest has gone from the end of creation until Jesus comes again. <laughs> Paula? What are the three, what, do you have anything to say about the three different parts? It's not just leaven, one lump, it's three parts. Only that we talked about the number three before. Jesus was in the earth for three days. There's three aspects to the Lord, and we are a three-part being. Three has a lot of other significance. Three days here, three days there. The only thing, the only sign I'm going to give this wicked generation is the sign of the prophet Jonah, who was in the belly of the fish for three days. So, I think he could have. I think three just is something like that. I don't have any other significance to that. But turn to Daniel chapter two. I'm going to show you how the Old Testament is is revealed in the new, and the new is concealed in the old. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 31 through 35. Remember that King Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream and none of his counselors, none of his sorcerers, none of his wise advisors, none of his you know, occult people could interpret the dream or tell him what the dream was. He didn't tell anybody what the dream was. He wanted somebody to tell him what the dream was and then interpret the dream. So Daniel sought the Lord when he found out there was an opportunity if anybody could do that. The same way that Joseph, by interpreting dreams, won a high position in Egypt with Pharaoh, Daniel's going to win a high position in Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar. And in verse 31, it says, he's telling him what the dream is. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image, this great image whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And go down to verse 44. Well, no, let's just stop there. Okay. The image, the, the gold, the head of the image is the kingdom of Babylon that Nebuchadnezzar was the king over. The second image is the Medo-Persian Empire that followed Babylon. The third part of the image is the Greek Empire brought in by Alexander the Great that followed the Medo-Persian Empire 
the fourth is the Roman Empire. The stone that's cut out of the mountain without hands represents Jesus. When he came, he started a new kingdom that destroyed all the other kingdoms till there was no trace of them left and grew into a mountain that filled the entire earth the same way that the leaven grew into the entire loaf that was being leavened and filled until the whole earth or the whole lump was filled with the leaven of God or with the kingdom of God. The mountain cut without hands represents the kingdom of God in the form of Jesus Christ. Everybody okay with that? Yeah. Okay. So the, the parable in Matthew is virtually the same thing as verse 40, 35. The stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Okay. Let's go to um, Matthew 13, verse 36 through 43. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom the things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire, there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Does it say anywhere in that explanation that the evil seeds sown by the devil are going to eventually take over the world? No. No, it doesn't. Yeah, that's good. It doesn't say that. It says that the angels are going to pluck them out and they're going to be destroyed in the Woo! fire and the kingdom of God, the seeds that God's sown, are going to be <laughs> filled throughout the world just like the previous parable. Now go to Malachi. This is the Old Testament again. I want to show you these parallels. Malachi chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. Malachi 3, 14 through 18. It's talking to people who complain against God. You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept His ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed, for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, 
and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his only son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. You see the parallel? The tares that were planted by Satan were destroyed. The seeds that were planted by Jesus lived to fill the earth with the kingdom. God is going to discern between evil and good. The evil is going to be taken out and destroyed. And the good are going to inherit the earth. We're going to go into this more in future when I talk about timelines and things like that. But for now, that's pretty clear. Now this is something a little different that I want to share with you. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. Matthew 16, 13 through 19. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, or the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Okay, what's the rock that he's going to build his church on? Jesus. I heard a whole bunch of different things. What is the rock? Peter. Okay, how many think the rock is Peter? How many think the rock is the revelation that Jesus is the Christ? Okay. Okay. That's the rock that he builds his church on. Okay, now in chapter 18, verse 18, again he says the same thing. Assuredly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, I'm, I'm going to challenge a lot of you, I think, on this. I have received teaching in the past months from prophets that I know have a proven track record that what this really means is that what we're supposed to do is loose evil away from people and bind the goodness of God, the life of God, the healing of God to the person instead of the other way around. What we're doing in churches is binding the the demons, then the devil and all that. No. And then trying to loose them out of a person after they're bound. But that's not what God intended. What God intended was we command you to be loosed from this demonic possession 
And now that you're loosed, I'm not going to wait for him to come back and find an empty house. I'm going to bind to you the love of God, the life of God, the, the plans of God for your life, the Holy Spirit. And that's going to be bound to you and stay to, on you. If you are in an accident like I was or you're hurt by divorce or by abuse or some other thing, and even if you've already forgiven whoever did that and you know you're saved, you're a new creation, but there still is woundedness in your soul about those events. And what you can do is you can say, Holy Spirit, help me to loose from my soul, even the memory of those things so that they can no longer come against me or hurt me and bind to me the life and love and healing of God that I may have a soul that is healed from even the memory of those things. You understand? We don't want to go around binding demons. We want to loose people of the demons and bind to that person the life and love and healing power of God in its place. That's what I, it, yeah. as soon as I heard this, my spirit said, yes. 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 I know that this has not been taught in most churches forever. But when something new comes on the scene, you have to let your own spirit witness to you if it sounds true or not. Mm-hmm. And if there's fruit and value that comes from believing it this way or that way. If we loose evil from people out of their lives, out of their souls, out of their spirits, and bind the life, the love, and the plans of God to them, that seems like a much better process to me. So, you think the way that it was set out that because they mentioned binding first and loosing second each time you read the scripture, that that was misunderstood? I have no idea. This was spoken 2,000 years ago, but the interpretation of it is more recent, way more recent than that. And churches have made up their own. Um, yeah, a lot of people have have bound evil spirits and then commanded them to leave the person after they're bound. That's all I heard of when I first became a believer was we have to bind the devil, we have to bind the bind demonic. The Yeah, but what I'm saying is we need to loose those things out of people's lives and out of their homes and out of their uh, and out of their soul, and and instead bind the life, the love, and the peace and the plans of Jesus to that person. And if we pray that way, the Holy Spirit is faithful, because that's what God's plan is for you to be filled with the knowledge and the love of God, and not with the evil spirit that was trying to take you away from God's love and God's knowledge. So, anyway, you can meditate on that and come back and ask me about it again later if you so desire. I agree. Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 29. 
25 verses 14 through 29. It's the parable of the talents. The talents. And Jesus is speaking. He said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two talents gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he had received five talents, came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have at least deposited my money with the bankers that at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But for him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Well, in Romans chapter 12, it describes motivational gifts that are given by the Father to people at the time of their birth. There's people who are born with certain kinds of talents, musical talent, athletic talent, you know, math talent. People are prodigies and things like Mozart, who was writing symphonies at age five, and, and uh, Tiger Woods, you know, who was ready to beat the best players in the world when he was still a youth. People like that. God doesn't judge you on what you've been given. He judges you on what you do with what you've been given. Mm-hmm. And so... We have been given talents to use as ambassadors of his kingdom to help build the kingdom, to do our part for the body of Christ. Remember in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged on what we did well in the body, not just this body, but what we did for our part of the body of Christ as a whole. And if we used our talents and bore fruit, he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and anointed you that you would go forth and bear fruit, fruit that would remain. Bearing fruit that remains is the same thing as earning more talents back Mm -hmm. in this parable. 
okay? If you have a talent that the Lord gave you, but out of fear or complacency you do nothing with it, you'll be called a wicked and lazy servant. And he will take even what you have and give it to the one who did the most with what he was given. We don't want to hear those words from the Lord. We want to hear the other, well done, good and faithful servant. Come in and receive the reward. Do you? If you were faithful with a few things, I'll make you ruler over many. Now, some of you have asked on a couple of different occasions who are the different prophets that we've been listening to. And I know that there's others in here who listen to a lot of these same people and even others that we might not listen to. But one of them, Kat Kerr, is, has been chosen by God to reveal heaven to people. She's been taken there thousands of times, and she's written books called Revealing Heaven. She has a website called Revealing Heaven. She tells people what heaven is like the same way Pastor Gary is doing in his own way. And one of the things that she said is that there's many, many, many incredible things to see and do in heaven. And there's also a university where people who go to heaven can be trained to rule and reign with Jesus during his millennial kingdom on earth for a thousand years. Woo! Glory! (laughs) And so when he says, you were faithful with a few things, I'm going to make you ruler over many. And then you look at Revelation, and you see that he's going to come and have a thousand year reign, and we're going to be the ones who rule and reign with him. And that there's even a university that teaches us how to rule and reign with him in in heaven. It makes a lot of sense. It all fits together. There's nothing random about God's word. But we have to know how to seek out the, the, the streams that flow through the word to get to a certain conclusion about whatever topic it is. That's why he said it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the honor of kings to seek it out. He didn't say people. He didn't say disciples. He said kings. We are kings and priests in the kingdom of heaven. We're called to be a generation of kings and priests. Okay. Any questions about the parable of the talents? And he tells us, too, if we seek, we'll find, too, right? Right. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. Starting in verse 30. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, the the lawyer who, who was questioning said, Who is my neighbor? So Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. 
So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Well, most people just take that at face value, I think. But I want to present a new interpretation that you might not have heard before. A Samaritan is someone who has a Jewish mother and a father that's not Jewish. Okay? They're, they're like what we used to call half-breeds or mixed race. So the man leaving Jerusalem to go to Jericho was a Jew. They're the ones who live in Jerusalem. Jericho is a city in the world. So he was on the road from the city of God to the city that's in the world when he was attacked by thieves and left there. A priest came by. That represents the, the priesthood, the, 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 the holy people. They should have been able to offer him some help, but instead there was no help for him in the, by the, offered by the priest. A Levite came by. He represents the law, the, the, the Sadducees and Pharisees. There was no help for him in the law. But then a Samaritan, someone who's got a Jewish mother and a, and a different father, came and helped him. And where did he take him? He took him to an inn. An inn is a place of comfort. And the innkeeper is the comforter. Mm. Wow. Now Jesus is a Samaritan. He has a Jewish mother and a father who's something else. Yeah. He's a Samaritan. Uh-huh. He's the one who comes and binds the wounds of the injured Jew, takes him to the Holy Spirit, who's the innkeeper, to comfort him, and says, here's enough to comfort and protect him for a couple days. A day is like a thousand years, remember. Mm-hmm. And if, uh, then I'm going to come back, and I'll see to him again. And if, I, if you spent more than I gave you, I'll repay you. So what is he saying? He's saying, I'm going to leave you in the hands of the comforter for 2,000 years, and then when I return, all the debts against your care will be repaid. And Jesus is the Good Samaritan. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Amen. Amen. (laughs) What did you say the certain man was of what? Was he Jewish? Did he was a Jew, yeah. Because he came from Jerusalem and was going to Jericho. Mm -hmm. Jerusalem is the the capital of the Jews at that Mm -hmm. time. Okay, let's go to Matthew 13 again. Back to Matthew 13. There's two parables that are identical. I'll read both of them. They're each one verse long, and then I'll expound on the second one. Verse 44 of Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, 
which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And then verse 45 again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. When he has found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Okay. So there's two perspectives. One is that the kingdom of heaven is so valuable that when we discover it, we should be willing to part with everything we have in order to possess the kingdom. The other perspective is that Jesus values us so much that he gave his all to have us for his inheritance. And let's look at it as an oyster, because that's where pearls come from. So the oyster takes on an irritating grain of sand and it gets under its shell. And over time, with pressure, it secretes oil and essences of itself until layer by layer it is transformed into a precious, beautiful pearl. In the same way, the Lord Jesus takes us into his shell like an irritating grain of sand and over time covers us with his Holy Spirit beauty and the oil of his essence and forms us into polished precious gems for his glory and delight. Now in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19 and look there Galatians 4 19 This is Paul talking to the church in Galatia. My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. It speaks of a change in character becoming conformed to the character of Christ in actuality, not merely by resemblance. So we're being washed with the truth of the word of God when we read it. And we're hearing the word preached. And slowly but surely, Christ is being formed in us. And our destiny is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. It says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding us in a mirror, the image of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Where was that found again? It's in 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And in Galatians 2, 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now this beautiful pearl inside the oyster cannot be seen or enjoyed without the oyster paying a great price. The oyster must die. It must be torn open in order to find the treasure within. Therefore the formation or the source of the pearl's Beauty, the foundation of it, is Jesus. Our Savior had to be bruised, afflicted, torn, and killed so that the beautiful treasures God intended us to be 
from the beginning could be discovered and released from the darkness of sin. Just like the pearl is released from the oyster. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Verses 4 through 7. Titus 3, 4 through 7. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So each one of us is a treasure in the Lord's sight. We're his pearl of great price for which he paid the highest price. Turn to somebody next to you and say, I think he's talking about you. Now, this class is about the New Testament being concealed in the Old, the Old Testament being revealed in the New. So let's go to the Old Testament and see proof of this. Exodus 19, Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. Exodus 19, starting in verse 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Talking to Moses. Now go to Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah 62, verse 3. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. A royal diadem is a precious jewel. Zechariah 9, 16. Don't hide. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 16. The Lord their God will save them in that day as the flock of his people, for they shall be like the jewels of a crown lifted like a banner over his land. And in Malachi 3, a verse we read earlier, I'm going to read it again. Malachi chapter 3. Verses 16 through 18. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord, who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. 
Jewels in Hebrew means special treasure or precious possession. That's what we are in the sight of God. That's why Jesus gave his all to, to possess us. All right, let's go to the New Testament. First Peter chapter 1. First Peter 1, verses 18 through 21. It says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, that is of a lamb without spot and without blemish. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And then Acts chapter 20. You are the precious pearls that he paid the high price for. Acts twenty twenty eight. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God with which he purchased with his own blood. So we're a purchased possession. And in John 1, verses 12 and 13. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And in 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In Romans 8.29 and 30. Romans 8, verses 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. doesn't matter if you feel glorified or not. You have a position in God's kingdom that says you're glorified right now. And you will be in the future, for sure. And the last verse is Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. Colossians 3, 2 through 4. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So now, through the atoning sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, we become holy and are honored to be called sons and daughters of the one true living God. Each one of you is a precious jewel in the eyes of our Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I've always loved jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Anything that exists on earth has previously existed in heaven.
So Jesus came down from a place where he loved jewelry and made it so we could be his pearls of great price. I'll open it up for questions. That's all I have for today. About binding and loosing. Why do you think the Western churches? Do you do you think that the churches outside the, the West have received that revelation? I, I think places that we've been have a much more innocent and simple understanding of Scripture. They read it and they just believe it because there's been no doctrinal teaching from different doctrines of denominational churches over their lifespan. They've only known the Word of God and what's being taught in it, and it makes it much simpler. But what happens in doctrinal Christianity, denominational Christianity, is a, a person like Luther or John Wesley gets a revelation, and a, and a doctrine is formed based on that revelation, and a church grows out of that, and that revelation is what they teach. It's their doctrine. They don't seek to go deeper or further or get outside of that, and it puts them at enmity with people who have a different place where they're camped out, which is a doctrine that's different than their doctrine. And so the Methodists are different than the Lutherans. The Baptists, their doctrine is different than Lutheran and Methodist. Of course, the Roman Catholics have a whole different doctrine than any of the other Protestant churches, and so on and so on. And so you can't camp out on a portion of the truth and never learn the rest of the truth and only teach that, or you're going to have people grow up who are in error about what they believe about Christianity and the Bible. There's even denominations that teach that that teach cessationism that the gifts of the holy spirit apostles and prophets that all died in the first century AD and none of that exists anymore and it's not for us today well how is that going to help anybody i find that, that those people like the calvinism and the reformed church and you know those those structured churches like that that they if they can't put it in a box, mm-hmm. exactly, it's it it doesn't it doesn't exist. Calvin actually murdered yeah. pastors yeah. who said that they had to that people who were sprinkle baptized as a child had to be immersion baptized as an adult after they were taught about it. He, he said that's wrong, and he went out and killed a hundred pastors or more, and he drowned them for teaching that people had to be immersed and baptized. Calvin, his doctrine was everything is based on the sovereignty of God. There's another guy named Arminius who said everything is based on man's responsibility to react to what God has done. I gave a teaching on this. Some of you were there. I know you won't remember, but God's responsibility 
or man's responsibility and the sovereignty of God are two poles of what I call the spectrum of truth. The whole truth lies from one pole to the other. Denominational Christianity is camped out somewhere along that spectrum. But what we're supposed to be is riding a pendulum of the Holy Spirit, going from one pole to the other and learning everything along the spectrum of truth, because this is the word of truth, and it's what sanctifies us. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, Paul wrote, This is the will of God, your sanctification. In John 17, chapter 17, Jesus wrote, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. If we don't have the Holy Spirit teaching us what part of the truth we need to learn next and carrying us from one pole of the spectrum of truth to another, we're only no better than some denominational Christian sect. Okay. Now, when you're saved, can you do that yourself? No. God, it's a sovereign act of God when people get born again. But the minute you're born again, there's a responsibility that falls on you now. You have to start reading the Word. It would be good if you found a church. It would be good if you were being discipled by someone. It would be good if you, you know, carried your newfound faith in, the, in a good direction. But as soon as you realize that and start trying to do it, you realize that you need more grace and power from the Holy Spirit to accomplish what you're setting out to do, and you swing back over to the sovereignty of God. Then as he gives you grace and, and, and leads you to mentors and the right kind of church, and you start to grow in his word and take classes like this, then you realize that you have even more responsibility and you need more grace. And you're constantly moving from a need for God's sovereign grace in your life and the need for you to respond to what he's done with things that you need to do. Freely you have received, freely give. If you forgive someone On earth, your Father will forgive you in the same way. It's all throughout Scripture that there's two sides to everything. There's the part that God says he'll perform, and there's a part that he expects us to perform. But in denominational Christian churches, they leave off much of the rest of the truth to only hone in on the place where they're camped out. That's the problem. And in overseas and other countries, they don't have that because someone came, preached the gospel to them, they started reading the Bible, and they accepted it as true, and they believe it. That's why our friend Francis Machuria from Kenya, when he died, his wife wouldn't let them take his body to the morgue. She threw herself on top of him and said, no, we're going to pray, and he's going to be raised from the dead. And after three days, he was raised from the dead. And we asked her, how did you know to do that? She said, well, it said it right in the Word of God. No one taught her, you have to be holy. You have to do these all these things before you can raise somebody from the dead. You didn't pay your dues. You didn't clean toilets. You didn't work in the kitchen. You didn't work on the altar ministry team. How can you be someone who would raise the dead? I'm going to get into more of this kind of stuff when we talk about timelines in the next couple weeks. But for now, that's the answer to your question. (laughs) 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Yes, but there's also places in, in, you know, in other countries where established religions have come in, where you know they had to dress in suits and you know, speak with the you know Queen's English or whatever. And so you do see a difference even in those churches there. That's true. Because whenever a uh, revelation from God comes, religion tries to kill it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am going to be talking a lot more about this in the next couple of weeks. Thank you all. Amen. I have a question. Yeah. It's not about all of this, but when, as soon as we walked in, you said, do you know what today is? Ash Wednesday. I don't even know really what that is. It's the start of 40 days of Lent for Catholic people. They put ashes on their forehead and, you know, they're, they're, they're consecrating themselves to holiness leading up to Easter week. Okay, so I'm not Catholic. I, that's all I know about it. Maybe someone who was raised Catholic knows more about it than that. Well, as a chaplain in a hospital, we have to do what the patient requests. Right. So we had to get a lot to understand. The priest last year at the end of East Palm Sunday take all the fronds of the palms and they crush, burn them and then crush them. And then those are the ashes that we get with the oil and we put them on the mark of the forehead of all those that requested. Now, to me, it's a direct sign that I need to understand humility not being religious, that what he did for me on Palm Sunday, riding in on that mule with all the fanfare that went on with that, to a week, week later, five days later, five days later, comes in front of everybody on a cross. He died for me. He bled for me. He sacrificed his life for me. And what we're supposed to do with ashing is to receive him to our understanding that we aren't greater than him. We are his creation. But the ashes are a reflection to it. If you go out publicly today, you should be seeing a lot of people that have it on. I don't know. You leave it on till sundown. You don't. The easier people, they go at seven at night. (laughs) Ash Wednesday is 40 days before Easter, not four days. No, I meant... uh, Palm Sunday, where you get the branches from. from Right, I know, but... Yeah, it's 40 days. Palm Sunday is also the day... Palm Sunday is also the day that the Jews choose their lamb for the Passover sacrifice and have to have it in their home for four days and inspect it and make sure it's without spot or blemish. And that's the parallel with Jesus coming in. He was, the people in Jerusalem got to inspect him as the Lamb of God and see if he fit the bill to be the sacrifice once for all. And he was consecrated to be the Lamb of God and the sacrifice by John the Baptist when he was baptized. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And his father was a high priest when he when his birth was prophesied, mm-hmm. he chose not to follow his father into the priesthood 
and to go out and be the one preparing the, and declaring that the Lord is about to come, we have to get ready. But it, he was the rightful high priest. Caiaphas and Ananias and the other priests at that time were not the rightful high priest. He was. And he had every right to consecrate Jesus as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. That's the whole reason why Jesus said, for righteousness' sake, you have to baptize me. Because John had said to him in one of the Gospels, this isn't right, you should be baptizing me. And he said, no, for righteousness' sake, let it be thus. That makes sense. Okay. Thank you, Jesus.